Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everyone, especially if you're new, if you're joining us over Zoom or maybe you're listening to the recording or watching the video as we've published it on Facebook and uh, YouTube. For those of you always sitting at home and listening, this is where we're going to publish it and also make it live on Facebook and YouTube so that you can send it out to those who don't maybe have the capacity or the time to do that in this way that we are doing it now so that they can watch and engage as well. And if it is your first time, I would really encourage you if you're listening in over Zoom, Connect with us through the chat box so that we can see how we can connect with you in this time or how we can strengthen you in any way or just support you and be there for you as we're going through these times that we are going through. If you're listening in um, or you're watching the recording or the video on YouTube or Facebook, um, please feel free to WhatsApp us on uh, to WhatsApp us uh, on, our, on our number. You can find that number on our website. But also just send us a Facebook message so that we can connect with you and see how we can encourage and strengthen one another in this time. But before I dive into the sermon... Of tonight, let me just open for us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we can be with you, Lord, knowing that you are present with us, Father, and your Lord, as Anu just shared, and as we were praying, Lord, before the service, that we can find encouragement in the fact, Lord, that even there where we are at our homes, Lord, maybe you're sitting there alone, or there's people surrounding you, we are not alone in our pursuit of you, Father. There's people gathered together as we pursue, Father. The king of this world and what you have for us, Lord, as we let go of the things that distract us to take hold of the things you have for us, Lord. We are not in this pursuit alone. Thank you that we can find encouragement in that, Lord. And thank you, Lord, as we consider, Father, your purpose, Lord, for the times that we are going through, Lord. We can just feel and experience, Father, that you're calling the church to be missional, Lord, outward focused, Lord, saying that the call was never for them to come, Lord, but always for us to go. And may we go, Lord, and share the good news of the gospel, the gospel of hope, the gospel of peace to a world that doesn't know, Lord, any of those things, don't know hope, don't know peace. So that revival can break loose, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are willing and able, Lord, to do that through us, Father. We are the ones many times holding back, and we are saying, Lord, here we are, send us, use us. As we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfect example, as we ask you, Lord, to fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, to give us the boldness to obey, to go out, Lord, and pursue the things you have called us to pursue. In Jesus' name, amen. So our title for tonight, what we will be speaking about is who will go for us. You know, and it's not a passage of scripture that we're going to go through tonight, but where this call comes from is in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is you know, faced with the presence of, Lord, of the Lord. He sees God manifest himself to Isaiah, you know, and the first thing that Isaiah considers and thinks to himself, shucks. This must be my last day on earth because I am found in the presence of the Almighty. I'm looking at God and all of His glory. And as He's looking, God comes and He takes a call from the altar and He touches Isaiah's lips and He makes atonement for Him. Salvation wrought, sanctification brought. And uh, as Isaiah experiences the loving kindness and the goodness of God, as God comes and just forgives and atones, so that he can be in his presence, so that he can do the work that he's called him to do. The following request comes from God, and he says, who will we send and who will go for us? And as a Christian, as we give our lives to God, as we lay ourselves down, and we experience that salvation, as we experience that atonement and that goodness of God, 
we will be confronted with that same call. Who will we send and who will go for us? Something that God will always ask throughout the ages. Who will go for us? You know, and as a church, we need to say, here we are, Lord, send us. And the reason for that is, you know, and as I was considering this word that God is giving us as a church to go, to be more missional, to be more outward focused in our looks and life, I'm just, Lord, Father, I really want to, you know, bring a word of encouragement to our people. We're going through some tough times. And God says this is a word of encouragement because as he shifts our focus to be kingdom-minded and to follow Jesus with everything in us, as it says in Matthew 6.33, as we seek the kingdom of God above all else, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, all of the other things will be added unto us as well. And many times the enemy comes and tries to distract us with those things, you know, to keep our focus set on the things, you know, and understand it, we're going through tough times, you know, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of hopelessness, there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of despair and uncertainty, but Jesus says, do not focus on those things, do not consider what you will wear, eat, or where you will live, these things will be added unto you as well. The Gentiles, the unbelievers, they worry about these things, but I'm asking my church to focus on the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because in that day is hope found. And it gives purpose to the times that we are going through. You know, from the day that Jesus went up into heaven till the day he will come back for his church. What will signify this time, what will give meaning to it, is the fact that this is the time of salvation. And he says in that scripture in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, that in a favorable time I've helped you. In the day of salvation, I've come near to you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now. It's the day of salvation. We are in the days of salvation for people to be saved for eternity. And as we go through these difficult times and things, that's at least one thing that we want to do is give meaning to the things that we are going through. You know, we don't want pain without purpose. We don't want trials and tribulations without giving meaning to it. And then one thing that's so you know, strange as we consider being Christians and following Jesus, even in these times we're going through, you know, and the whole world is experiencing difficult time, the whole world is experiencing trials and tribulations as we're going through these things. But Jesus says, even if the whole world is fine, you know, the economically, economically stable, there's no virus going around, there's no lockdowns, none of those things going around, the Christians will still face persecution and tribulation. That is just part of following Jesus. Even if everything else is okay as Christians, we will still face trials and tribulations. But what we need to ask ourselves is, what is the purpose, Lord? How do we give meaning to these things that we are going through? And I feel God saying to us as a church, as we're considering, you know, not even being able to gather physically as a church, what will give meaning is if we go out. Go out to the nations. And in this week, Hami came to our small group or, you know, visit our Zoom small group. Um, as we were over Zoom, and we spoke about, and he, he, he told us the story of Joseph, and as we went through it, you know, he asked us a couple of questions at the end, you know, and strange enough, in the beginning of the week, I thought about that same story, considering all that Joseph went through, and the things that he faced, and many times as we read through the story, specifically if we know what's going to happen at the end, we don't have a lot of sympathy with, with Joseph, you know, we don't understand and experience the things that he's going through, because we know what the purpose of it is. We know what the outcome is. It's like, Joseph, chill. Yes, you're facing some tough times, but just, just hold on. You'll be second in charge of Egypt, and God is going to use you to save the lives of many. And we understand the purpose. So in light of the purpose, in light of the meaning, the suffering does not look that severe. But think about it. You know, he went through some tough things. And the same for us. As we go through these times, we should consider, Lord, what is your purpose? What is your meaning? 
And I've said it a couple of times, how bad would it be to go through all of this coronavirus stuff, to go through this lockdown and miss the purpose of God in it as well. You know, that as we go through these times, as we experience all of these things that we're experiencing, we at least want a certain amount of purpose to it, meaning to the times that we are going through. And, uh, you know, as we consider that, God is saying to us in this time that He wants us to be missional. You know, He wants us to be outward focused, to go and reach people this time you know and as i was considering that in the first service and you know just looking at we have this new visitors can ban in our office you know just making sure that the people that want to be connected to the church actually get followed up we found them we connect them to a small group and i wanted you know lord how long you know before there's going to be a name on the scan ban again but funny enough funny last enough, week also as we spoke about being missional focused and going out someone's not muted, but as we focus, you know, on going out and proclaiming the gospel to the people, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't invite people, because someone was intentional last week in inviting someone. They actually recommitted their life to Christ, testimony, gave themselves to God, and is following Him once again wholeheartedly, because someone invited someone to come and be with us, to come and hear the word of God, and God came and He worked miracles, and it's something amazing that we witnessed. So God is faithful in sending people, and just as I was considering in the beginning of the year, many people, especially traditional Christians, you know, one of the, the New Year's resolutions that they have many times is that this year I'm going to come to church a bit more. I'm going to take care of my spiritual life. I'm going to look after myself, and I'm going to come to church a little bit more. And I just want to say to you, if that's your New Year's resolution, whether you are tuning in or whether you are listening to, to the recording or to the video, our spiritual life is not found in coming to church a little bit more. It's in surrendering our whole life to Jesus. The one who holds that life. The one who cares. The one who sustains. The one who allows us to be born again. Gives us his spirit and leads us by it. It's not in coming to church a little bit more. It's surrendering everything to Jesus. In that, our spiritual life is found. Now, but as we consider as a church, you know, and hear the call of God and consider this question, who will go for us? God, the Trinity speaking, as he spoke in Genesis, let us make man in our image. And as we consider who will go for us, may the resonation of our hearts be, here we are, Lord, send us. We will go. We will be those that go. And we're going to read through a passage of Scripture found in Acts 4, verse 1 to 31. It's quite a long passage of Scripture, so sit back, relax, and read with us as we go through this and consider, you know, what are the things that we can learn. And the story picks up just after Peter and John healed the man at the temple gate, walked into the temple. A lot of people came rushing closer. They preached the gospel to them. And at that moment, the officers of the law and the Pharisees and the scribes, they come rushing towards them. And that is where we pick up the story. So let's read together. Acts 4, verse 1 to 33. As they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000, about 5,000 who believed, you know, and that's not even with counting in the women and the children. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anat, the high priest, and Caphias, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? And when they asked by what name in the Old Testament and even in the old ancient times, when they asked 
in whose name it represents the fullness of that person, the authority, what that person stands for, the, the character, in whose name did you do this? And obviously the name of Jesus. By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, something that we, had, we have to note there, filled with the Holy Spirit, something that the writer is also very clear in showing to us, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who has healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it might spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You know, the Afrikaans translated a bit more clearly. It says, It is impossible for us to keep silent about what we've heard and seen. It's impossible for us to keep silent. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because of the people were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elder said to them. And when it speaks about their friends, it's speaking about the fellow believers, the, the saints, the koinonia, the community of the, the holy ones of God. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Quite a long passage of scripture and a lot going on there. And one thing that I just want to make clear from the beginning, you know, as we read through Acts, you know, and we see how the early church lived out the mission of Jesus, as they were considering, you know, Jesus gave us a command, he came and set us an example. He came and died and was raised again so that we might receive the Spirit of God and so that we might be one day with Him for eternity. 
As we consider the things that Jesus said and did and the commands that he gives, this is what it looked like in action. Practicality, living out the commands that Jesus gave. And I don't know about you, but as I read through the book of Acts, I'm quite confronted with the action of the early church, with the faith they had, with the things that took place. And the same would be true for any one of us. We are confronted with the faith that they had. And we are asking ourselves, Lord, do I have that faith? You know, maybe, well, am I called to do those things as well? Or was it limited to a certain group of men, Lord, who you called to do these works? Do I have the faith that it takes? And many times we are so focused on the challenge of faith that we forget what enabled them to do what they did or to live the way they lived. And one thing I just want to say from the beginning, many times when reading through the book of Acts, we think, man, it's jam-packed. Every day there's miracles happening, thousands of people coming to salvation. And then we read through it and we think, you know, it's quite a short amount of church history that we're going through. And in fact, it is not. As we read through the book of Acts, yes, the, the writer is focusing on these events that happened, these main events where a lot of people came to salvation. But what he's describing is the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, Acts 1 verse 8, that kind of sums up the purpose of the book. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he's illustrating that process of expansion of the gospel. And this process takes place over the span of 30 to 40 years. This isn't the first year of the Christian history of the church. This is a long time, you know, and a lot of things happen in that time, but it's not something that happens, you know, on a weekly, on a daily basis. And also, there was a lot of unique events that we simply cannot expect to see again. One of them being Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church for the first time. There can only be one first time. The Holy Spirit will never be poured out on the church again for the first time. It has already happened. That event already took place. And there was a lot of things that were quite unique to the times that they were in, to the culture that they were in. And we simply cannot expect that. But what I'm not saying is that because of these lot of unique events that happened, that we should not long for the faith that they had. That we should not long for God to work in the same way in which he worked back then. We cannot limit the works of faith to a few men of the past. We can say, here we are, Lord, use us in the same way. We are stepping out in faith in the same way. Because we see, Lord, when we read this narrative passages, as people simply explain the story of what happens, we can see, Father, how they live out the call of the gospel. We can see how they respond. And we can see how you respond to faith. And we want that same faith. We can do that as well. But as we read through that again, like I said, we many times focus on this challenge of faith that we are not, you know, conscious of what made them live the way they lived. What enabled them to live the way they lived. What are the things that we should long for or ask for of God so that we can live in the same way, this missional life lived by the early church. And let's see where the story kicks off. You know, we read again Acts 4 verse 1 and 4. We pick up the story, and like I said, this is just after the man was healed, just after the people came running together, as they were speaking to them. And we begin to read, and we think, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. You know, and in verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came about to 5,000. And we think as we read that story that the only thing the apostles did was simply go out preaching the word. This is what they did day after day. You know, they had scheduled times to just simply go out and to preach to the people. And they just constantly work miracles and wonders among the people. As if they scheduled it, you know, Miracle Monday. It's going to happen. People are going to come to salvation. Thousands are going to be led to Christ. And miracles are just going to be all over the place. 
But we forget this is not how the story started. And many times when we think about these early people, we think, you know, that Peter and John came, you know, together that morning, prayed and asked, okay, what, what's the plan for the day? And Peter turned to John and said, well, it's Miracle Monday, so big things are going to happen. And they spend the morning in prayer and in time in the Word, and they said, okay, I have an idea. We're going to go 3 o'clock. We're going to go heal that lame man at the gate. Then we're going to enter the temple at half past three, and we're going to lead, lead 5,000 to Christ. We kind of think, you know, that that's how they scheduled their day. Or well, The Holy Spirit was, was very specific. And I remember, Peter, the Holy Spirit said that today was going to be the day that we heal that man and lead 5,000 to Christ. You know, are you ready? For these things are going to happen. And it didn't work quite that way. It wasn't what they were busy with the whole time. They didn't schedule Miracle Monday. You know, when we pick up the story... What they were busy with, we read here in Acts 3 verse 1. And here's where the story starts. And listen to what the writer wants to say to us. He says the following, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now the Afrikaans says, Yendach. Now one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And translated into our own context, what it simply means is, as Peter and John was busy with a normal day, doing normal things, just living out their normal rhythms, they were going to the temple. And Israel being a theistic nation, with God as their king, they had certain hours where they were devoted to prayer. It was something true of the whole nation. The whole nation had this hour of prayer. And what it's simply saying is that they are going through their normal day, doing normal things. They didn't plan Miracle Monday. They're doing normal things. And you know, translated for us in our context, it says Peter and John was coming home from work. Peter and John was going to work. They were going to walk the dog, going to the gym, go buy some groceries at Spar, busy with everyday life. They also had jobs. Paul was a tent maker by trade. They had jobs, and we, we forget this many times. As they were busy doing normal life. You know, we see the same in the life of Stephen. Act 6, it's not on the board, but you can go and read that, not on the, the screen, but you can go and read that. You know, it says, and wonderful signs and wonders was being done through the hand of Stephen. And we also think, you know, maybe Stephen scheduled Miracle Monday, or the Holy Spirit said specifically, it's just going to be miracles all over the place, and people are just going to repent and come to Christ every day. But when we look at Stephen, also considering that he had a normal job, like most of us as well, it said that in the beginning of that chapter, what has happened was the Hellenistic widow said that they were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the apostle said, select for yourself men that can do this. And Stephen was one of those men, and one of the tasks that they gave him was to distribute food to the needy, to the Hellenistic widows. So Stephen also didn't plan Miracle Monday, he was just busy doing normal life, going to work going to give a food parcel to someone who needs it. Normal day life. But then the question that we have to ask ourselves is, but what set them apart? Why are these things so evident through their lives? Although, like I said, it doesn't just happen each and every day, each and every week. It's the span of 40 years that's being portrayed here. But what was different? It was men doing normal things, but they were focused and aware of the presence of God and the work of God when He gave them opportunities to minister to people. Look at what it says in verse 4. Just after the writer says that like any other day, Peter and John was going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It says, as the man asked them for money, and Peter directed his gaze at him. 
He directed his gaze, he shifted his vision, he shifted his focus, and he was aware that God is busy doing something. That God is planning something. I'm sensing the presence of God, I'm aware of the movement of the Holy Spirit, and here something is happening. And they looked at him and said, silver and gold, we have none. But what we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And then strange enough, as they healed him, they were just busy doing what they were setting out to do. They were still going to the temple. You know, the, the Afrikaans says, in Suez Vatel and the temple in Luab. As they were just going on with their normal day life. This man followed him. He, he clung on to him. And he says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astound ran together to them. And when Peter saw it, again, when Peter saw that the people came together, God is busy working. There's a moment here, the Holy Spirit is leading me. When he saw it, he addressed the people, being aware that God is moving. You know, something they understood fundamentally is that wherever they are, they are sent there. They are sent once. You know, Jesus prayed for us as the church, and he says, as the Father sent me into the world, so also I'm sending you. So also I'm sending you, fundamentally we are sent once, wherever you are, you are sent there to carry the good news of the gospel, the gospel of hope, the gospel of peace, to a world that has no hope and knows no peace. And they understand the importance of, of what they're called to carry. And, then, and they didn't think twice about what God wanted to do, they understood that the main focus, the main purpose that gives meaning to this life is the salvation of people. Whenever God is busy doing something, his aim in that is to lead people to Christ. He is to bring about physical healing and all of that, but mainly salvation. And as that man was healed, Peter might have been contemplating, you know, what, Lord, what are you doing? Why has this happened? And when he saw the people ran together, he realized, ah, God is busy working. Salvation will come to the lives of many today. People doing normal day life, but aware of the move of God. That takes us to point number one for tonight. Who will go for us? Point number one. We cannot plan a miracle, but we can live missional. We cannot plan a miracle, but we can live missional. Miracle Monday does not exist. We cannot plan for that. We simply need to be missional and know that God wants to work always and at all times. You know, and I, like I just said, now the greatest miracle will always be salvation. Many times we think, you know, rising someone from the dead, the resurrection of the dead, that will be quite cool, guys, won't it? Be pretty awesome. And you'll feel good about yourself and your faith after you've raised someone from the dead. But think about it. Salvation, when we think about it, is basically an eternal resurrection from the dead. Like Scripture says, that has passed from death to life. And those who died in Christ will live Forever. You know, Gerard in our accountability group this week, as we were busy going through Revelation, said that, you know, those who die in Jesus' name will live forever. It's an eternal resurrection of the dead when people come to salvation, being born again. The greatest miracle that will ever happen. And you might say, hey, I don't think we plan miracles. You know, I threw the word miracle in there now, but many times we have this set times where we expect certain things, you know, expect God to move. You know, limiting thing to church maybe, or a small group, or accountability. There's these specific times, or our, our quiet time, you know, that few hours in the morning that we spend time with God. We think that this will be the time that God moves or speaks. And when we go out of those times, we're not constantly aware or focused on what God is busy doing. We're not missional. 
And we do that sometimes as well. You know, we plan Yanni's salvation next week, Thursday. We're going to invite him for lasagna, but he doesn't know. We want to give him more than lasagna. We're going to preach the gospel to him as well. And then what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm not saying don't do that. Like I said last week, someone was diligent in inviting someone and they gave their lives to the Lord. Great, great testimony. Over Zoom, God is working and He desires for lives to be saved. To be really committed to Him, to follow Him with everything in Him. So I'm not saying don't schedule those times. What I'm saying is always be aware of God. Schedule those times. Plan, invite. Pray to God and have that expectancy and that hope that God is going to work, but have it always. Every time, everywhere you go, wherever you are, there you are sent. You are sent to Sukuna, you are sent to your workplace. To go and spread the good news of the gospel. And that is what they understood, that we are the sent ones. Because think about it. As a church, when we look at the model of Acts and how those people acted, and we think about the modern day church, we are expecting the world to be the missionaries. If we only invite, not saying don't invite, but if we only invite, we're expecting the world to be the missionaries. We're expecting them to come. Them to leave their language, their culture, the things that they know. And come to us, a different language, you know, Christianese, different culture. Things look a little bit different here and we're expecting them to come and experience all of that instead of going to them and proclaiming the gospel to them where they are at. You know, some people, even in this time, you know, some people simply, even Christians, even believers, are simply saying we don't like Zoom. We don't like it, so we're not going to join, we're not going to come. So if that is so difficult for us to press in, in this time, how much more if we're only going to invite the world to come? Find that link, download that app, join here. It's difficult. It's even difficult for us. Imagine how difficult it will be for them. So we need to go and preach and proclaim the gospel where they are at. At your work, there might be a certain amount of people that will come when you invite, but there's certain people that you will need to preach the gospel to them where they are at. And I get it. You know, we say that many times we feel unequipped. We don't feel trained. Now, let's leave it to the professionals, you know, the real missionaries or the people that have the theological degrees. They can go and proclaim the gospel. They can go and break open God's word. Let's leave it to them because I feel unequipped. I don't feel I have what it takes. I don't have enough learning. You know, persecution, you know, that company policy simply states we're not allowed to preach the name of Jesus. And what we are facing in South Africa, is that's not persecution on account of the gospel. These people that know it well and know where... Was it more known, the fact or the feeling of being unequipped, untrained? We don't have what it takes in the face of, you know, these rabbis, these scholars, these Sadducees and Pharisees that spend lifetimes studying the scriptures and knowing these things. How on earth are we going to engage with these people? They knew how it felt to be unequipped, untrained. They don't have enough learning. And they understood persecution. Now, let's just simply take a look at a couple of verses. It's, on the, it's going to be on the screens. You know, th- this is just a couple of chapters. And this persecution goes on and on, every chapter of the chapter. And there's specific chapters that don't focus on persecution, but just simply state, you know, like the gospel going to the Gentiles, Cornelius coming to salvation. And those, th- that chapter doesn't mention specifically persecution. doesn't say persecution when there. Persecution, chapter after chapter after chapter. Simply going through that. Listen to this. Acts 4 verse 3, and they arrested them, speaking about Peter and John. Acts 5, they arrested the apostles. Acts 5 40, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Acts 6 12, and they came upon him and seized him, speaking about Stephen. Acts 7, 
59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, crying out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Sounding exactly like Jesus when he was crucified, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Christ-like, missional-focused people, convicting faith. Acts 8, verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house, dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And time after time, no, no matter how much the persecution, they simply did not keep silent. You know, having this thing about them, the more you guys say silent, the louder we will proclaim that Jesus is king. We will not keep silent. They simply could not silence those, these people. In the face of persecution, standing in front of the authority, simply saying, we will obey God rather than man. The end verse 5 is 41. It's it's not on the screen, but you can go and read that. After they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, it says, and they left their presence rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Imagine that. Experiencing persecution and what we say, we are rejoicing because we were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Having hope because it's found in Christ. Rejoicing because it's found in Christ. Having peace because it's found in Christ. Regardless of the circumstance or the things that we are going through. Giving meaning and purpose to what they're facing. To what they're experiencing. The name of Jesus and the salvation of people. How much more meaning do we want to give to life than that? Knowing Him. Leading people to Him. It says in verse 8, uh, chapter 8 verse this voice also not on the screens, but you can go and read that. You know, as Saul was ravaging the church and going house after house, locking these people up. And it says, and those that were scattered went about preaching the word. And I love when I read that because I just have this picture in my mind of them mocking the people. You know, as they're running away from them, they're shouting, Jesus is king. They cannot keep silent. They will go on to proclaim the word of God in the face of anything. You know, and this wasn't something they did behind closed doors. You know, saying to the authorities, okay, we will listen to you. And then going somewhere where they won't be seen and continue preaching the gospel. No, in the face of persecution, in the face of those who are persecuting, they said the following. Acts 4 verse 18. You can read with me on the screen. And it also happened exactly the same in Acts chapter 5. It said, so they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all the name of Jesus. In Acts 5, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then listen to what their response is. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. And then it goes on to say, but we cannot keep silent. We simply, it's impossible for us not to proclaim the gospel. We will continue. And then Acts 5, verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Obedience to God, that is the key. That is the important thing that we many times lack in the modern church. Obedience. Obedience to God. And yes, in Acts 5 verse 20, an angel appeared to them and specifically said, go and stand in the temple and preach. But God wasn't very specific in telling them where to preach. There was a way of God moving and where he wanted them to go. But they understood that certain people cannot be invited. Certain people won't come. I need to go and preach to them where they are. Where the greatest opportunity exists, there you will find me preaching the gospel. And they didn't say to one another, okay, listen here guys, we see now, when we go to the temple, they they always lock us up. They beat us. When we go to the marketplace, the exact same thing happens. So let's invite them to our homes and let's preach the gospel there. I don't think they'll catch us there. No, 
they simply continued to proclaim the word of God wherever people was found. And we many times say, no, we, at work we can't do that. You know, that, that policy states. Not allowed to proclaim our faith here. And you must decide whether it's better to listen to God or to man. For we must obey God rather than man. Proclaim the gospel wherever we are. And I said it this morning as well. You know, you might say, Vian, that's easy for you to say your company policy is preach the gospel. So I'm working for the church. But I didn't always work for the church. I was in sales as well, you know. And I said this morning as well, Yammer Martin, I see sorry, was my boss. Maybe some of the deals we, we didn't get were some of the people that I went to see. They were a bit offended with the gospel that I shared with them. And because of that, maybe didn't sign that deal. Maybe didn't do business with us. But regardless of that, the gospel we will preach wherever we are because we are sent there called to carry the gospel. <laughs> yeah, they, they understood this difference. And Robin came to me in the beginning of the year and says, you know, as Christians, you know, we should really have a lesson in the difference between willingness and obedience. Because as Christians, many times we think that our piety is linked to the things that we want to do or the things that we know. We think information is transformation. And we love to sit together and speak with one another and, and nod our heads, yes, we should go and preach the gospel and sit and gather in groups and discuss on how we can help the poor, how we can make a difference, and we nod our heads and we like to discuss it. But information is not transformation. Willingness is not obedience. Just because we are willing, it doesn't say we will be obedient. You know, there's this story in the end of Matthew 20, you can go and read it, about two sons. The father comes to them and says, you know, will you go and work in the wine fields? One son says yes, and he doesn't go. He was willing but not obedient. The other son says no. He doesn't want to go. But at the end he goes. And Jesus asked the question, which one of these two did the will of the Father? The one who obeyed. Obedience. That is what God desires. That is what pleases God. Obedience is better than sacrifices. Meaning that when we obey God, He delights Him more than when we repent and say, sorry Lord that we're not going out. But just know that I really want to. The difference between willingness and obedience, information and transformation, we need to step out. And there's literally one step difference between willingness and obedience, that momentum to go. But what is needed for us is boldness. Or like the Afrikaans says, vrijmoedigheid, waagmoed. That is what is needed for us to be obedient. Look at what it says of the disciples in Acts 4 verse 13, the passage that we just went through. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, another one of our, of our excuses popping up there. Uneducated common men. We are not educated. We're not trained. We don't have enough learning. But then it says there, but they realized they had been with Jesus. Had been with Jesus. Our lack of boldness to step out is not because we don't have enough learning. It's because we don't have sufficient yearning to be with Jesus. Because in His presence, He will give us the boldness, the vrijmoedigheid, to go out and proclaim the gospel. That was, I say, so important as you read through the Acts. You will say, every time when someone stands up to preach or to say something, you would say, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. Paul, full of the Holy Spirit. Philip was told by the Holy Spirit, go here. The presence of God, people that were with Jesus. Even in the persecution, what's the first thing they run to? They gather together with the saints and lift their voices to God, drawing near to the one who gives boldness. And yes, they were physically with Jesus while he was on earth, ministering with them, teaching them a lot of things. 
But that's not when the boldness came. That is when Peter denied Jesus three times. But Jesus said, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive boldness and you will continue to speak the word with boldness. The same Spirit given to us. The same boldness given to us. We can experience that. I know we many times say that we're going on missions. We shouldn't say we're going on missions. We are on a mission. We should live with that missional mindset. The mission simply changes location now and then. I think it was Solna that asked me when I started to work here, and she asked me, you know, Brown, when was the first time you went on mission? And I said, no, it was 2014, the 7th of September, the day I gave my heart to the Lord. That's when the mission started. It hasn't ended yet. Simply changed locations. We went to Malawi, went to Zimbabwe, went to Durban, went to Cape Town. You know, the mission has changed location, but I have been on a mission since the day I gave my heart to the Lord. I'm not going on mission. The mission just simply changes location. For because wherever I am, I'm sent there. Sent there by God to do what He has called me to do. But it's the presence of God that enables us to do that. You know, something that they might have experienced, you know, thinking about these people and thinking, but didn't we deal with this type of man before? Thinking about Jesus. And all of a sudden, when they say they recognize that they had been with Jesus, what they are saying is something of the life of Christ is found in these men standing before them. They look a little like Christ, they act a little like Christ. They speak the words of Christ. They are doing the works of Christ. We thought that we have dealt with this man. We thought that he was away. But look, here he is in the life of these men. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because we have been with him. It's not a lack of learning. It's a lack of yearning to simply be with God. Because that gives us the boldness when we are in his presence. Same as Isaiah in Isaiah 6. In the presence of God, experiencing the goodness of God. And when God says, who will we send? Who will go for us? He said, yeah, I am, Lord, send me. God's like, I didn't even tell you where yet. I didn't even tell you what you're going to say yet. As I just like, Lord, that doesn't matter. Unconditional. I'm saying yes. Preemptive. Unconditionally. Whatever you send me to and whatever you ask me to do, that I will go. Yeah, I am. Send me. That takes us to our second point for tonight. Who will go for us? Point number two. Missional living is rooted in bold obedience. Missional living is rooted in bold obedience. We can say missional living is bold obedience. Being aware of the fact, if I live missional, that's something I can do. I cannot plan miracles. I cannot plan someone's salvation, but I can live missional. And as I do that, I can step out in obedience, having the boldness that comes from God. Stepping out in bold obedience. The first thing that they did when they were faced with this persecution was come together as the saints and pray to God. And what did they ask? They didn't ask, Lord, take away the persecution, take away the tough times. No, they said, Lord, give us boldness. That's the one thing we desire, to be granted boldness to continue to speak your word. And you stretch out your hand to heal, Lord. Amen. That's it. End of prayer. Grant us boldness, Lord, in the face of persecution to go out and proclaim your word. And last year we looked at Hebrews 10 from verse 22 to 42 to 24 and 25. And as we consider those things that Jesus commands us, and we can clearly see it in this passage, you know, drawing near the true heart and full assurance of faith. Drawing near to God, that was what they did. Holding fast to the hope of their confidence, knowing that Jesus will come back and grant us the boldness to endure in faith till he comes back. And considering how to stir one another to love and good words, not neglecting together, but encouraging one another all the more as they saw the day drawing near. 
The more persecution came, the more they came together. And they considered how to stir one another to love and good works. And what was that? To draw near to God and hold fast to their confession. Coming together as a group, lifting their voice to God and saying, Lord, grant us boldness. We're going to do that tomorrow and every Monday. Coming together as the saints, lifting our voices to God as we intercede. Intercession. Half past six every Monday. Lord, grant us boldness to continue to proclaim your word. Join us as we lift our voice to God and ask him to give us boldness in this time, to give meaning to this time, to give purpose to this time as we go out and proclaim the gospel to a broken world, the gospel of hope, the gospel of peace. It says in Matthew 20, verse 12, that in his name, the nations will hope. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. The name of Jesus. That is what will give them hope. That is what will give them peace. They don't know hope. They don't have peace. We are called to go and shed that light. Matthew 12, 21, sorry. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. We need to go and proclaim that. I need to ask us as a church, where are we at, church? Are we willing or are we obedient? Are we missional or are we mundane? Simply going through the motions, are we aware of the presence and the work of God, what he wants to do through us? Let's shift our focus to be missional. And let's step out in bold obedience, not just being willing, but being obedient to the call of God for our lives. And I want to leave us with this last two verses. And I want to ask you there where you are, if you're alone, if you gather together, if you're with your family, whatever, wherever you are with at this moment, won't you take time tonight to just pray this prayer and ask the Lord. So let's read that prayer together and you can go and pray it with the people around you. Acts 4, verse 29 to 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. So in our case, Lord, look, about, look at the confusion, look at the hopelessness, look at the brokenness, Lord. Look at the corruption. Look at the poverty. Lord, look at these things. And what we ask, Lord, is grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That is our prayer, Lord. Because God is calling us as a church to again be missional, to focus. And that call is echoing tonight. God is asking each and every one of us, who will we send and who will go for us? And my prayer is that we will have the faith and the boldness, not to say, Lord, we want to, but Lord, here we are, send us. Not that we want to, we're not only willing, Lord, but we are obedient. Here we are, send us. I'm going to end off us in prayer, and then we're going to dive into our breakout rooms, and I just want us to simply discuss one thing. What stood out for you tonight? What's the one thing that God's saying to you? What's the one thing that stood out? What was the one thing that was meaningful? Let me end off us in prayer, and then we can dive into our breakout rooms. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we know, Lord, that we can come to you, Lord. Draw near, Father. And as we see, Lord, with the early church, Father, they came together, Lord, that same hour, Lord, that same day when they gathered together and prayed and asked for boldness, that same day, you filled them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and you gave them the boldness. And, Lord, you are saying to us, Lord, that that is simply what you desire for us, to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. When we draw near to you, Lord, let's have faith and let's do it with a true heart. You know, sometimes we just simply need to proclaim, Lord, we don't want to go out. We like comfort. We don't like the uncomfortableness, Lord, of sharing the gospel with people. We want them to like us. We don't want to be known as that Jesus people, Lord, and that weird ones. We don't want that. And God is saying, if that is you, just draw near with a true heart. Say to the Lord, that's me. If you are not honest with God, He cannot start to work in us. He cannot change the person we are pretending to be. Let's be honest and real with God because He already knows. 
And thank you, Lord, although you know us, Lord, you see us, Lord, our, fa- our faults, our failures, the wrong things we do and think, Father, and act sometimes, yet you love us, yet you come for us, let you guide us, Lord, yet you pour out your spirit upon us, Father, and you enable us to do the works that you've called us to do. And we want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for the example that you set. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are empowering us and that you are giving us the boldness and the grace to step out in faith for the things that you've called us to. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.